Well, it's always a good night when one gets to talk to Jean-Pierre Fister. Um, last time we met was, uh, or saw each other was in London, Jean-Pierre. You've moved on since then. Now you have your own business. Capital management. You're also having a look back on the whole Able story. And that was, there are a few things I'd like to pick up with you. You're one of the most popular investment managers, I'll have you know, with the business community. People just, just love you. And, and the fact that you are on the show is a, is a, a great thing for our community. But just to, just to go back a little bit on the Able story. You went short on Able long before the collapse. Uh, we've subsequently seen that they've now sold last week StanGen for, uh, well, it was in the hundreds of millions of rands. They've also got this thing called Africa Phoenix. There's still now a new African bank that's coming in. But had, if one had held on to Able shares right through the whole process, how would you be sitting right now? Sure. Uh, yes, uh, Alex, so the last time you and I spoke was in London in October 2016, and before that we spoke in August 2014, just days after African Bank Investments Limited was uh, suspended on the JSE, and their main subsidiary, African Bank, was of course based in curatorship, and that precipitated the suspension of the shares. Now, those shares were suspended at 31 cents per share. So if you were an ordinary shareholder in African Bank Investments Limited, that is what the value of your investment was frozen at. From previous highs of trading to the 40 rand per share to a low at the suspension of 31 cents per share. Mm-hmm. Now, those shares were suspended for uh, the better part of a year. And during that time, like I mentioned, the main subsidiary, African Bank, the actual bank, uh, was placed in curatorship. And the company ultimately lost control of the bank. So all that was left was Ellerines, which was then placed in business rescue and wound up. And then another subsidiary, the one you referred to that was recently sold, called Stangen, Standard General Insurance. Uh, and it's quite interesting, Alec, if you, if you go back to the time that African Bank Investments Limited, which of course is an investment holding company, when it got suspended and, um, and after it lost control of African Bank, when it came then uh, two years later with its first financials, after the loss of control of African Bank, they did show a negative ordinary shareholder value of, I think it was roughly minus 500 million rand. Mm. So in effect, ordinary shareholders were wiped out completely. But, and this is an important point, we can get into a bit more detail if you want to, African Bank Investments Holdings Limited also issued preference shares and those preference shares contributed capital to the business in 20, 2005 and 2011, a total of just over a billion rand. So even though common equity shareholders were wiped out in the demise of African Bank, because there was still preholder capital left and because the investment holding company still owned Stangen, through the affluence of time and the generating of profits by Stangen, and very importantly, the fact that the board then decided not to continue paying pref share dividends, some value was accumulated again to the point where today African Phoenix, the new name for African Bank Investments Limited, is now trading at 63 cents. So that is the current value that an ordinary shareholder that was suspended at 31 cents per share in 2014 has today. Roughly double that at 63 cents per share, but it was created, that value was created on the back of Stangen and on the back of the group not paying preference share dividends. Well, okay, so now we understand. So if you'd been uh, one of those scalpers or the cigar butt investors who went in 
just before it was suspended and you paid 31 cents rather than the 40 rand that shame some people had uh, had held on to it, at least it's uh, five years later, but at least that 31 cents is now virtually double. Correct. And if I use the rule of 72 and divide it by the five years gone by, uh, that means it's roughly a 14% return on your investment if you bought it just before the suspension. So not not a terrific return, not a bad return either if you look at markets that were uh, going sideways. But it could have been very different, Alec. And that's why I started in my explanation to say that the common equity shareholders were actually wiped out because it's very contentious that the bank or, or the board of African Bank Investments Limited decided to not continue paying preference dividends. And that is why the common shareholders then could have a doubling in their value because those preference dividends were issued not by the bank. They were not bank-issued preps. They were issued by the investment holding company. Mm. And a lot of those preps holders were pensioners and individuals who, who, do, not, who do not maybe understand uh, corporate law and the rights that they had. And because of that, uh, the press dividends basically also when uh, they were suspended, but when the suspension was lifted, they collapsed in price to around 20 rand per preference share from previously being uh, roughly at 80 rand per preference share. And these poor pensioners sold out to a lot of hedge funds that then accumulated preference shares and ordinary shares. And in the process now, in this last five-year period, came to this point where we've now seen a transfer of value of hundreds of millions of rands from the pockets of preference shareholders to ordinary shareholders with these uh, hedge funds and other uh, directors uh, pulling the strings behind the scenes. Now, uh, it is quite interesting that the story isn't quite over yet, Alec. Uh, this was a scheme of arrangement, as they call it, where, this, uh, where all the pref, uh, shares were repurchased roughly a month ago just before the Stanjing sale. But three preference shareholders uh, dissented, and I'm one of those three. And we said to the company that we demand fair value for our preference shares. And there's still uh, probably a court case to come, and the court will determine what is the fair value of these preference shares. What an interesting story. Thanks, Ron Pierre. That is the one that I think has passed most of us by. Uh, we also were asked uh, in our webinar earlier this week about NASPAS, and I said I didn't know NASPAS or I didn't know the, uh, the details as well as a, uh, a money manager, and I'm hoping you can help us through this. We've got a lot of people who in the business community have been invested in NASPAS. We've loved the stock, and they've done very well out of it. But now what do they do with this listing of process in Amsterdam? Can you advise us? Sure. So basically what NASPAS are doing is they are taking 25% of their business and selling it to offshore investors and doing it in a structure called process and listing those shares that they will sell on the Euronex exchange in Amsterdam. And South African investors in this whole reorganization will be given a choice. There's a default and then a choice that they need to exercise actively. And the default is that they will receive shares in process one process share for every one NASPAS share that they previously had. And in effect, their, uh, their economic interest does not change, but that reorganization for a taxable investor. So this is now an ordinary private investor, not a fund, not a collective investment scheme. For an ordinary investor, this will be a taxable event for that 25% of the shares that were sold to uh, a new foreign shareholders. So what it means is, if you do nothing as a private shareholder, you will be taxed on 25% of the value of an NASPAT shares. So uh, you you might be happy to get close to shares because there's an expectation that the discount to the sum of the parts, which, is, uh, which has continued in the NASPAT listing 
slight decrease in percentage terms in the process listing, but you will get a benefit while on the other side paying tax on 25% of your holding. So for South African private individuals who want to try and defer that uh, tax event, they can actively choose to rather receive NASPAT shares listed still on the JSE rather than the process shares. And uh, if they do that, they defer the capital gain. It will ultimately be, be need to be paid when they do sell their, their NASPAT shares ultimately one day. But then the problem you have is you hold shares in a holding company of a holding company. Mm. And you run the risk that the total discount between NASPAS and its underlying investments like Tencent actually increases because there are now two entities between you and the operating businesses. And that is the, the, the problem, Alex, that I can't say necessarily the one option is better than the other. You either need to pay the tax now in this year with 25% of your holding being taxable, or you defer the tax, but then you run the risk of a higher discount, uh, and therefore that the NASPAT share will trade at a discount to the process share. And that is why a lot of uh, people have called it a Hobson's choice, because you, you sort of lose either way if you're a taxable investor. But if you hold it through a unit trust, uh, your unit trust manager will probably choose the process share, and you will not be taxed on that because unit trusts uh, do not pay capital gain. Well, at least it's one advantage of unit trust. Shame they've, they've come under a lot of pressure lately with all the costs, etc. But uh, that's that's good news. Thanks for articulating that. Just to close off with these, we also had questions on the South African property sector, and I had a look at the South African property index, which um, in the end of 2017, so 18 months ago, uh, the index was trading on the JSE at 689. It's now at 490. It's down 29 percent. There is hope that there will be interest rate cuts, which is usually good for property. But how are you reading this? Is it time to maybe go back into those property stocks? Well, firstly, if you look at the index, uh, as always when one looks at the index, it's important to understand what the constituents of those uh, of that index is. And in the case of the, the South African property index, the resilient group of, of companies is a large part of that. Now, Alec, another story where there's probably another chapter to be written is the whole, uh, 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 I don't know what you want to call it, tussle between the resilient group of companies and, and my previous employer, 361, that happened at the start of 2018. And we still need to see exactly what the outcome of, of that will be. But it does mean that because the resilient group of companies was such a high weighting in the index, and those shares specifically fell a lot, uh, one needs to have a view on those specific shares in the resilient group to then decide your view on the index. Now, subsequently, things in South Africa have gotten even tougher, and a lot of other property companies have also seen pressure on their share prices. And even today, uh, there was an announcement between Emira and uh, SA Corporate, and recently there was an announcement between Arrowhead and Gemgrow, where a lot of the smaller companies are starting to merge. And you'll probably continue to see that in the property space because things are so tough that any way that some of these companies can show any growth in distributions is to merge and, and gain scale. But for me, in the short term, I still see things on the ground in South Africa as very tough, negative reversions, very difficult for property companies, and therefore I don't think it's necessarily a good time to get involved in property yet. John Pierfester is the Chief Executive of Protea Capital Management, and I'm sure there are lots of people who have now got new guidance on exactly where we go to from here on those uh, big issues, the NASPAS issue, property issues, and interesting to get the insights on ABLE.